Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Natural, Live Well. I am your host, Heather Lounsbury, also known as Doc Heather on Twitter. Before I bring on my fantastic guest today, Dr. Jen Mann, let me do a short introduction to myself for those of you who are first-time listeners. I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine, nutritionist, author of Fix Your Mood with Food. I'm available for phone consults anywhere in the world, so please be in touch if you want help in getting physically or emotionally healthier. And thanks so much for tuning in today. Let me, we're going to have a lot to talk about, so let me go ahead and bring Dr. Jen right on right, right away. Hey. Hi. How are Thanks you? Thanks for coming on today. I'm great. My How are pleasure. you? I'm doing great. Good. Thank you so much for joining. I know you're busy. I, I'm re-looking at your bio. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's probably one of the most busy, <laughs> busiest women I've, I know. Or not even <laughs> say no, but you know what I mean. <laughs> sure. Do you ever have time for yourself? I follow you. You know, I I do, and I'm in a a great relationship, which also really helps. And um, but yeah, you know, I do I get as much time for myself as I did before I had kids? No, absolutely not. <laughs> At the same time, I do try to carve some time out. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we got to practice what we preach, right? A hundred percent. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, for my listeners who might not know who you are, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story and what got you inspired to doing what you're doing today. Um, Well, I am a licensed psychotherapist. I'm an author, a TV and radio show host. Um, Everything I do is around therapy and helping people better themselves. And I'm most known for my show on VH1, which is called Couple Therapy with Dr. Jen, which has run for six seasons, and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen, my spinoff show, uh, which has gone for a season, and I've done some reunion shows as well. But I've been working in, in TV doing therapy for longer than I would like to admit at this point. Um, and in terms of what inspired me to become a therapist, um, I was actually originally going to be a journalist. And... I did a story about rape on college campuses, and um, I interviewed four women at my own college who had been acquaintance raped by one male who went to the school. He had gone to prison and was going to be getting out and would have access to the campus because no one knew about it. And when I did the story, I became obsessed with it. And as I was doing the story, uh, women came out of the woodworks. Uh, my teachers, my fellow students, my employers, and all shared their story, kind of like this whole Me Too thing. And I began to realize what a huge problem rape was on college campuses, and unfortunately still is. And I felt I had to do something. And so um, I volunteered my last semester. Uh, in LA, I volunteered for what was then called the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women as a rape and domestic violence counselor. They're now called Peace Over Violence. And I spent two years uh, counseling women and doing uh, hospital and police station accompaniments. And I trained over 100 women to do hotline counseling. And as soon as I started doing it, I knew I had found my calling and I felt like I need to, to do this. I need to, to help people. 
Wow, that's an incredible story. I had no idea. And you probably have helped countless women in just one area of your career. I, I have. And, and it's something I'm really proud of. And it, it's something that is incredibly meaningful to me. And, you know, yeah. I did accompaniments with, you know, a, a woman who had to tell her father she had just been raped. I held her hand while she had a rape exam in the hospital. You know, I had another woman who was in the hospital who had been gang raped and I was by her bedside, you know, right before she passed away from her injuries. And it's oh, incredibly God. gratifying work to know that you are there for someone at their worst moment at um, a really intense crisis point, but that you're able to help them and make a difference and, and help them get on the right path to healing from something so horrible and traumatic. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I'm getting chills just hearing about it. I, I remember my alma mater university of Maryland. We, there was this thing called take back the night. Does that mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. That, that yeah. was in the eighties. Mm. Um, I remember Oh, so many women, the, the impact, how much it hit me, like, wow, this isn't just a one-off occurrence. There's hundreds of women gathering for these events. I don't remember how often yeah. they were, but it sounds like your, your school was doing something similar. Uh, well, you know, my the school that I went to, my story changed campus policy. It changed the way consent was handled. It created, um, in the orientation, a whole series of discussions and lectures and, and um, really rules about consent on, on, col- on that college campus. Wow. And I wasn't ex- expecting to ask you about this, but what have you, uh, what are your thoughts on the Me Too movement? And do you have any uh, words of advice for women who are thinking of coming forward and are maybe scared to do so? Um, I think it's a great thing that women's voices are being heard and being believed. I think it is a wonderful shift tide of our culture and our history and the women's movement. Um, You know, the one thing that does concern me, well, two things. One is I believe that these, these incidents that are being reported, which have such a dramatic range from the inappropriate kind of ignorant boss who hits on a subordinate who shouldn't have where it's an abuse of power, but maybe he did it because he didn't know better and wasn't educated all the way across the board to rape and, um, and crimes. And I think that there, we have to look at the spectrum of what it is that is coming out and we can't treat all of them the same. And I think that this is a great opportunity to educate particularly men and men in power about what, what is acceptable and what isn't. And I think that that's a really important part of the conversation that just labeling someone bad um, who's on the lower end of the spectrum without education to me is not helpful because ultimately we want to make the society a better place for women and, and also for men. And to yeah. me, when men are educated and understand about the differentiation of power between a boss and a subordinate and about what it feels like to be a woman and have your boss hit on you and to maybe not have another job you can go to if you don't like what's going on or not feel safe to say that's not cool or, or you know, I don't want that, that men need to be educated. And, and I think it's a really important part of this movement. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know I've had my own personal experiences with harassment and so forth, and I won't go into detail, obviously, today, but uh, this has brought up a conversation with my boyfriend uh, about, like, mm-hmm. gosh, women, it's a scary place for women and men, the good guys that have yeah. just don't just have no clue on how just going out and do, having your day, like the, the idea that a man might hit on you inappropriately or grab you or whistle or sure. throw things. The, uh, there's a, a great book by Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear, and they, their 20th anniversary issue came out a couple of years ago. And in the book, Gavin DeBecker, who's a security expert and who uh, the, the book is kind of geared towards assessing dangerous men, understanding what the warning signs are and listening to your gut. He's a, the gift of fear that our fear is a gift because it's something we need to listen to because it tells us something that's important. And in it, there's a part of the book where he talks, he's giving a lecture and he's talking to men and women and he says, you know, raise your hand if you have feared for your life in the last year. All the women raise their hand, a few men do. The last month, you know, all, again, all the women do, fear a few men do. How about within the last 24 hours, most of the women raise their hand and <laughs> the guys are like, what? And he says, okay, please share. And, you know, a woman raised her hand and says, you know, I was walking in the parking lot to my car and I heard footsteps behind me and it really scared me because I didn't know if it was a dangerous person or, you know, I was going to my door and someone came up behind me and I didn't know what their agenda was. And I think that most men don't realize, look, I'm a feminist. I'm as feminist as as they come. And at the same time, I think most men aren't aware unless they are educated, unless they are raised by feminists, unless they are taught about it, that the physical difference between most men, they outweigh us. They are louder than us naturally. They are physically stronger than us naturally. Granted, obviously, there are women who are stronger than some men, 100%. But for the most part, they are physically stronger than us. And so most men don't understand what that means in their dynamic with women. Yeah, exactly. And uh, hopefully the Me Too movement and the shift that we're having will bring more awareness to to men. And I I see that happening in my little town in in France and with the, the men in my life. So hopefully it's a societal shift. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And do you uh, have any sort of words of wisdom? Because we're talking talking uh, on the subject of fear of something that women can do to take care of themselves for their mental health in these situations. When you say in these situations, you mean a work situation or like when you're walking to the car and you hear footsteps behind you? Um, let's, do, let's do work because I know a lot of women have had those um, issues with coworkers or bosses where they don't want to risk losing their jobs and live in this sort of uncomfortable Well, it's, it's important to document. It's important to know what your company's policies are around harassment. It is important to, if it is harming your work, if it is harming your ability to do your job, if you feel threatened in any way, to report it to HR. If it's a company that has HR, and if not, there should be a protocol of what you do if you have a problem. Oftentimes, as was pointed out with a lot of the women in the Me Too movement, sometimes the person you have to report to is the person who's doing it or or someone who you are concerned is going to report to that person. And, you know, sometimes what you have to do is talk to an attorney to find out what your rights are, but hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Hopefully it gets to the point where you're able to talk to someone and someone is educated and 
cuts it out. Right. Okay. Thank you. And since you've been a psychotherapist for so many years, do you, are you seeing an, uh, any sort of uh, mental health trends and say the last uh, five years or things that are shifting with the, the patients that you see? Um, you know, I think that there is, has been a lot of, um, an increase in depression and kind of political kind of people um, being really affected by politics. And so I see a lot of that. Um, I also see when it comes to relationships, I think that, um, you know, a lot of couples are asking questions like, you know, is it okay to do a threesome? What about an open relationship? Because that's become kind of trendy. Um, So I I think that, you know, there are definitely some, some trends. Yeah, and are you are you actually still seeing people privately, or is um, yeah. are you too busy? Yes, I have a full oh, time okay, private practice. Good. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Know, that, that, yeah. To me, look, that's an important part of what I do. Having yeah. my finger on the pulse, and I have relationships with my clients, and I care about them deeply, and so you know, it's an important part of what I do. Oh, that's great. Um, and let's talk about your most recent book, The Relationship Fix. I love yes. the title, and I've Thank snooped you. around a little bit with the book. Oh, you're welcome. Um, before the interview, and I, if there's uh, any, like maybe the, the top three uh, hints, you can obviously play with that number of tips you give for, for couples to, to have communication and get closer. Um, well, the subtitle of the relationship fix is Dr. Jen's six-step guide to improving communication, connection, intimacy. And I picked the six steps because each one of them is something that is really important that couples need to hone their skills on, know about, be aware of, and have new tools for. The first one is connection. And I'm a big believer that connection is the foundation for a relationship. And when we look at, there's a, a study done by M. Gary Newman of cheaters. Both He did one study of male cheaters and one study of female cheaters. And he looked at cheaters versus non-cheaters. And the surprising thing that he found, both for men and for women, in the case of men, it was only 8%. In the case of women, it was 7%. It was that's the percentage of people who cheated purely for sex, and I think that it's a real um, misguided notion about cheating. That most people think, oh, you know, people just cheat because they're horny. They just cheat because of sex, and typically that's actually not the case. In over ninety percent of the cases with the cheaters, what they said was that they cheated because of either a lack of emotional connection in the relationship or a combination of a lack of emotional and sexual connection. So creating an emotional connection and maintaining it, which is very hard in this day and age where we're very busy, we work hard, we're on our phones, we've got a lot of screens all around us and distractions. To me, that is really one of the most important foundations of a relationship. That's why I devote a whole chapter to it. The second chapter is about fighting fairly. And I think that most couples are not equipped with a set of rules with an understanding of kind of what's hitting below the belt, what's not. We tend to kind of do what our parents did or what we grew up with, and that isn't always the healthiest thing. So I give a lot of tips and tools about how to fight fairly. Then the third chapter is negotiation. 
And most people don't realize that once you go past the honeymoon stage of a relationship where everyone's just like, oh, you like pizza? I like pizza too. Oh my God, I can't believe we found each other. We're so perfect for each other. Once we get past <laughs> that kind of projection stage, a lot of the relationship is negotiation. How do we handle anger in our relationship? How do we work through conflict? We don't agree on where we want to go for dinner. How do we handle that? And a lot of people really falter in this area. And, you know, we see a lot of people who are kind of compulsively monogamous. They go from one relationship to another. They get to the, they enjoy the honeymoon stage. They get to the negotiation stage, and then they're like, I'm out of here. And they never develop the tools to do it. Uh, then the fourth uh, chapter in my book is about healing childhood wounds. And I am a big believer that our childhood, our childhoods have an enormous influence on how we are in our relationship and that we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our partners to work through our childhood stuff. And sometimes people say to me, well, my parents didn't abuse me. It's not necessarily about abuse. We have all been through difficult things, whether it is parents who divorce, because sometimes people say, well, 50% of marriages don't work out. So, uh, you know, half of other people in this world are children of divorce, but it doesn't mean it doesn't impact you. And sometimes there is drug abuse or alcoholism or even just a parent who just doesn't get you, who is busy not because they're evil or there's something terribly wrong with them. They're busy working. They don't know how to meet your emotional needs. All of that impacts how we behave in a relationship. So in Chapter 4, I really talk about what it is you need to know about your childhood, and I go through all the all different kinds of childhood traumas and then all different kinds of issues that people don't tend to think of as trauma but impact them in their relationship and what you need to know about it and how you can change the way you interact then the fifth chapter is about forgiving and making amends because look no matter how amazing you are in a relationship no matter how great your skills are at some point you're going to hurt your partner and your partner is going to hurt you and you need to know how to make amends and also ultimately how to forgive if or when that's appropriate. And then last but not least, everybody's favorite chapter, which is about sex, <laughs> how to <laughs> reignite your sex life. Because a lot of the time I see couples, you get past the honeymoon stage where everyone's throwing everybody up against a wall and swing from the chandelier and you get into real life and you've got mortgages to pay and kids to raise and soccer practice to take kids to and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of the time our sex lives get neglected. And it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to put it on the back burner and not tend to it, but also to not continue to move forward in our skills as a sexual partner. And I think that there is a lot of myth about, oh, we should just know, it should just happen naturally. But I believe that a great sex life takes work. And I believe we should do that work. Amen. (laughs) So I'd love to go back to what you were talking about with forgiveness and making amends because of a lot of what I do uh, with my patients is I help them um, sort of let go of, of old hurts um, and emotional scars um, through mm-hmm. acupuncture and diet and everything. And um, do you have like a, a favorite one or two ways that you use with your patients of helping them heal those past hurts or maybe move on and forgive somebody? Well, I think it's really important that, you know, I I believe that we are in a culture that overemphasizes forgiveness, at least in the Mm -hmm. kind of 
um, way that we tend to think of that, that there's a lot of pressure, I think, for people to just forgive, regardless of what the other person has done or not done, regardless of how they've reacted after that. And I think that we are sometimes too quick to rush to forgiveness. And I know that may sound strange coming from a therapist, but there's a process of forgiveness. And I don't believe in forgiving someone just because other people in your life tell you to forgive them. And sometimes somebody does something that really isn't forgivable, but what we do have to do is let go of our energy on it. That sometimes what we have to do is work on letting go of, you know, that anger that's eating us up because it doesn't serve us and it hurts us. Because to me, when what makes someone worthy of forgiveness is I, I talk a lot about the four R's in my book. And the first R is remorse. When they show remorse, there is a heartfelt apology that really shows they understand, they've had the realization of how hurt they have made you, that they've really caused you hurt. And, and to me, that acknowledgement is an important part of the healing process. The second is responsibility, taking responsibility, taking ownership of their actions. I really understand why that hurts you and what I did was wrong, even if it was unintentional, that it's a statement of regret for having caused inconvenience or damage or hurt. And that's an important part of this process. You know, the third R is recognition. It is being able to provide your partner with a forum in order to talk through what happened from his or her perspective, even if you see it differently. Just letting them vent and get it off their chest and being able to hear from their side of things what this was like, why it caused them pain, what it was about without getting defensive. And that's challenging for most people. And then the, the fourth one is remedy. And that is making a plan to and taking steps to avoid repeating the behavior. And, and I can't tell you how many times I have been on the radio and had people call in and say, you know, my husband or wife, my boyfriend or girlfriend, let's say, has cheated on me. And I've decided to take them back. They, I forgive them. And, you know, he said he's sorry, and, and so I decided to forgive him. And I say, okay, that's wonderful. He said he was sorry and that he wouldn't do it again, but what is his plan of action to make sure this doesn't happen again? What's going to be different now? And oftentimes people are so quick to forgive that they just say, well, I don't know. He said he was sorry. He cried. I felt so bad. I haven't seen him cry before. And that's not enough. Without that remedy, without a plan of, you know, I think that I'm drinking too much. The reason why I did that was because I was drunk and I shouldn't have been. And you know what? I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to get help with a 12-step program. Or I'm going to make sure that when I'm on a company trip by myself, I am not drinking, putting myself in compromising positions. Or you know what? I was inappropriate on Facebook. I'm going to shut down my Facebook. Or I'm going to give you my password so that you can feel more comfortable and feel safe and know that I'm not doing anything. But doing performing a remedy to the situation in order to make sure it doesn't happen again, a person who has harmed you doesn't provide you with these four R's, then it becomes very hard to forgive. And it may not be in your best interest to move forward in the relationship with that person. They can't recognize the pain they've caused. If they can't take responsibility, if they're not willing to make a plan to do something different, then you have to really question whether anything's going to be different. Yeah, well, well said. I think it goes for um, 
cheating or if there's an addiction issue, having a plan or like if they've, you know, if they've uh, verbally or physically hurt you, um, the same could be said for that. Am I correct? Getting anger management, um, getting into therapy to address the underlying issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, We only have a few more minutes and I want to definitely touch a little bit on your weight loss app, No More Diets. Um, I love that it's unique and you, you help people see like, what, what am I eating? Why am I eating? Am I really hungry? Uh, I'll let you go into more detail about it. Yeah, yeah, my No More Diets app is really special to me. It's based on my doctoral dissertation. I am someone who I had an eating disorder for a decade. My weight fluctuated by about 70 pounds over the course of that decade, and I thought that I would never be free of the obsessing, and um, I thought, oh, the most I could hope for is to be a, a decent weight and be completely obsessed, and ultimately, I found a different path. And for me, I have a really healthy, wonderful relationship with food. I don't deprive myself of food. I'm vegan, but I I don't deprive myself of anything. Anything that I want to eat, I can find a vegan version, and I give myself that pleasure and that joy in my life. And so I created this app because I had a lot of people, you know, season two of my show, or no, season three of my show, um, Abby, who, Abby Wilson, who is uh, Joe Francis's girlfriend, came on my show and had an eating disorder. We did a lot of work together, and I shared about my experience and my recovery, and it was really helpful for her. And a lot of people kept reaching out to me saying, I wish that I could have this kind of recovery. Do you have any tools for me? And so I put this together because I wanted people to be able to have the equivalent of being in therapy with me, that all the exercises that I would do with people are in my No More Diets app. All of the recommendations that I make, the things that help me get well, the things that help me help my clients to get well, move past the obsession to lose weight and to do it in a way that is not punitive. It's not a quick fix. And, you know, but I don't believe that ultimately when you struggle with your, with your weight or obsessing about food, that it should be a quick fix. It took you a long time to get here. It takes a long time to move past it. And I've had such great feedback and, you know, people who have sent me before and after pictures and people who have said, this app has changed my life. I thought I would always be obsessed with food and now I'm not. And you really freed me. And that's really an amazing thing for me. Wow, it's uh, yeah, it's such the perfect app because there's a million apps out there that you're counting calories and obsessing on how many ounces you're eating of something, and I think for totally. most people that's just, just makes things worse. So thank unhealthy. you for yeah, that's super unhealthy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you. If you have uh, any upcoming events or books or shows that people can tune into before we say goodbye. Well, right now, every Monday, I am on Ethan Bierman's show on KGO at 1130 Pacific Standard Time, answering questions and offering advice. So if people want to get advice from me for free, that is a great way to do it. Um, And I am always updating my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, and Snapchat, which is at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann, with kind of my latest and greatest of what's coming up and where I'm going to be next. Great. Well, thank you for all you do to help people and to help relationships and make this world a better thank place. You. Oh, you know, and thank one other so thing also, I have I, I have a column with InStyle Magazine. It's a sex and relationship column that is uh, that's pretty new and, and exciting. 
Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, it's called Hump Day with Dr. Jen, where I answer sex and relationship questions. And I always post the latest column on my social media as well. Okay. Well, thank you. And thanks so much for coming on today. And sorry, it went so quickly. I had about 20 more questions for you. So we'll have to (laughs) do this again. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thanks, Jen. Bye. So thank you, Dr. Jen Mann, for coming on my show today and sharing your words of wisdom and, again, for doing so much to help people. I greatly appreciate it. I know it's rewarding. It's the same for me. Um, If you have any questions for me or would like help with getting healthier, please go to my website, livenaturallivewell.com, to contact me. I do offer phone consults anywhere in the world, so please be in touch. Um, I'm the author of Fix Your Mood with Food, so it was pr- appropriate of having Dr. Jen on today. You can find that on my website as well, but Fix Your Mood with Food, where I give nutrition advice to help with depression, anxiety, fear, um, PMS, you name it, it's in there. So definitely check that out. I'm having another show on again tomorrow with Rachel Parent, she is a high school student in Canada who is doing her darndest to get GMOs labeled or get them off of our our grocery shelves. So please tune in for that. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. And check out my website to see all my other great tips and articles and other guests I've had on my show. Live natural, live well, and take care.